0: give us a wave. Everyone, that's Tim. He's married to Jess. They have a cute nine-month-old. Um, Sam, he's super cute. Um, on behalf of our church, welcome, and please get to know them. So Tim and Jess and Sam will be particularly at Kingsgrove this year. They're the new Hoeys. All right. We, we enjoyed the hoes, didn't we? We're sad to have lost them. I am too, because I had a writing buddy. Anyway. Um, okay, let's go. Let's go. Keep your Bibles open. One sunny day, a man decided to go jump from an aeroplane. When he jumped, there was good news and bad news. The good news, he had a parachute. The bad news, it didn't work. The good news, there was a haystack down below him. The bad news, there was a pitchfork in the haystack. The good news, he missed the pitchfork. The bad news, he also missed the haystack. Okay. I got a question for you. Why don't you spend a minute to talk with a person next to you? Can the gospel be bad news? What do you think? Have a chat. Go for it. All right, that was a pretty simple question. I wonder what you came up with. Um, you might think the whole you know what an oxymoron is, right? It's not an insult. You're not a cow and a moron. Um, an oxymoron is something that seems to be a contradiction in terms. Most of you will know that we, we, gospel means good news, so how can good news be bad news? It's an oxymoron. Well, the reason is because actually, we, we sort of mistranslate the gospel. I know all these things you've known for all these years. it's wrong. The gospel is good news, but it's almost, an I don't want to say it's mistranslated, it's inadequate. It's too, too weak, the translation, to think of gospel meaning good news. I'll, give you, I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, good news, for example, is when Apple, the company Apple, releases a new iPhone, right? That's good news. But that's not gospel, because I can decide whether or not I want to buy that new iPhone, and if I don't, it really doesn't matter. Do you see what I mean? Even if you're an Apple fanboy. It doesn't really matter if you buy it or not. A uh, gospel, therefore, isn't that kind of good news? A better idea or translation of gospel is important news, life-shattering news. It's a momentous news. That's sort of what it means. It's something that changes things for everyone. It's not just a Christian word. In the ancient world, the gospel is when there's news of regime change. You know what a regime change is? A go- uh, country used to have a certain king, and then maybe it gets taken over by the Romans, and then they would go and announce the gospel, the gospel being, here is important news. There's a new king, there's a new kingdom, and that can actually be bad news, isn't it? If you happen to be the people of the conquered empire, do you see what I mean? Right, The the important news comes that Augustus Caesar is now king. That's great news if you're Roman, not so good news if you're the conquered people, that's what gospel means, important news. The gospel in the Bible is the important announcement of the universal regime change, that God has chosen a king, and it's Jesus, and He is now the King of all creation. And that can be good news and bad news, right? It's good news if you want to submit yourself to Jesus, it's bad news if you don't. But that's what gospel is. It's not just good news. It's important news. It affects everyone and everything. Now, why why I'm telling you this is because it's Vision Sunday. It's the official launch of our year. And at SWEC, the gospel drives everything. But we need to understand what the gospel is first. That's why I started with that. Now, today, I'm going to share not just a one-year vision, but a three-year vision. The pastors and I, we got together in September last year, including our new pastor, Marshall, and we talked about what the next three years should look like, Vision 2021. And we came up with three things that I'll go through in a moment. But I want to firstly take us to Colossians, so keep your Bibles open, so we can see how the gospel drives everything. You ready? I know it's hot. Stick with me. Let's pray and let's get into it. Father God, help us in the heat to hear your word By your Holy Spirit, help us to go away changed, especially if we make this church our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm not going to go through Colossians 1 in detail, but as you look at it in front of you, and as Erica read it earlier, I wonder if you noticed some key ideas. Just take a glance at it, scan it. Anything that's repeated. Those of you who've been part of community groups last year, and we've done Discovery Method right? You're probably used to doing this now. What do you notice? Well, you probably will notice that there are two halves to this passage, verses 3 to 14. You can sort of divide it into 3 to 8 is the first half, and then 9 to 14 is the second half. And both halves, you'll notice, open with some sort of prayer. Yeah? Did you see that? Right? The first half will open with a prayer of thanksgiving. Giving thanks is a type of prayer. Paul is giving thanks to God, for a group of Christians in the ancient city of Colossae. He's never actually met them before. This is not one of the churches he founded, but he's heard about them and he's thanking God for them. That's the first half. The second half is another prayer, verse 9, you'll see. Now he's praying for them. Not a Thanksgiving prayer, but what we might call in Christian jargony terms an intercession. Intercess, inter, I can't even say it. Intercessory prayer. All right. English is my second language. All right. Please excuse me. No, really is. Um, Intercessory prayer. Okay, he prays for them. So one prayer looks to the past Thanksgiving, one looks to the future. Intercession, this passage is about prayer. Got that. Did you also notice another repeated theme? You might notice it. It's the idea of bearing fruit. Did you notice that in both halves? So verse 6, the gospel is bearing fruit around the world as it has amongst you, you Colossian Christians. The second half, too, verse 10, Paul now prays, among other things, that they would bear fruit in every good work. Okay, so you got that. This passage is united around two big themes, prayer, bearing fruit. Now, all that stuff in between is pretty dense, isn't it? So here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to show you via a diagram of how we're going to, hopefully, we'll help you understand it. So um, the first half, so we see that it's united around prayer and thanks, you see on the screen. So let's have a look at the first half verse, verses 3 to 8. We've got the first prayer, which is a thanksgiving prayer. Now, verse 3, Paul, who is the writer, says he gives thanks for these Christians. So what does he give thanks for? Well, you'll see in verses 3 to 6, he's giving thanks because he's heard of their faith. And if I could summarize, not just their faith, he's heard of their love. And he's heard of their hope. All right, those three things, faith, hope, love. They occur lots of places in the New Testament. In fact, a few years ago, we had a church camp weekend away that was just based on faith, hope, and love. I don't know if some of you remember that. But faith, hope, and love is a really nice way of summarizing the Christian character. Or, in the words of verse 6, faith, hope, and love is a sign that someone is bearing Why? Because when a Christian lives a life full of faith, hope, and love, he or she is being like a fruitful tree, producing a good harvest, multiplying something beautiful and wonderful from something that might have just started off as a seed, all right? So, you see there the diagram, the prayer of thanks, it comes from fruitful living. He's thanking God for their fruitful living, Now, let's go to the second half. Remember, this is also about prayer, but this is now he's praying for them. What is he praying would happen? Well, in verse 10, he prays that they would live lives worthy of God and please Him in every way. And there's that phrase again, bear fruit in every good work. Uh, If you want more specifically in verses 11 and 12, 11 and 12, He's also praying that they may have power to patiently and joyfully endure because the Christian life is hard. Persecution and suffering is part of it. Just look at our brothers and sisters in China at the moment. But all of that together, okay, living worthy lives, praying that they live worthy lives that please God, praying that they have power to joyfully endure, that is also nicely summarized as fruitful living again. right? That's fruitful living. So, you see, the prayer in the first half came from fruitful living. Now, it's being directed in the second half back to fruitful living. One is a prayer from fruitfulness. The other is a prayer for fruitfulness. Hopefully, that helps you see the passage fall um, into place. Now, seems pretty simple so far, but there's a little bit more, isn't there? Because, as I said, the key unifying element, in addition to prayer and bearing fruit, In both halves, the key is, no surprises there, it's what I started with, the gospel, the important momentous news of the gospel. So, in the first half, right back to verses 3 to 8, Paul gives thanks because of their fruitful lives. But what has caused their fruitful lives? What has caused fruitfulness in them, but also all around the world? Well, verse 5 tells us, it's the truth they heard. And then in verses 7 to 8, how did they hear it? They heard it through Paul's co-worker, a guy called Epaphras, who was probably from the city of Colossae, gone back to them to share with them the good news, the gospel. And the truth that they heard, the things that they learned, well, what is that? It is obviously the gospel. All right? And because they heard it and learned it, And truly understood it in verse 6. You see, the gospel has led to their fruitful living. Great. So that's the first half, how the gospel leads to fruit. Right, The prayer comes from fruit. Fruit comes from the gospel. The gospel causes it all. Now, second half. The prayer is now for fruitful living. So you see the arrow is going the other direction. But his prayer for fruitful living is tied to or is the result of another prayer he prays you might have noticed in verse 9 he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of god's will through spiritual wisdom and understanding and then in verse 10 in order that they may live fruitful lives that please god and so on okay so knowledge of god's will is going to lead to fruitful living that's going to be the cause of fruitful living that's why he prays that they have this knowledge What knowledge is he talking about? Well, no surprises there again. It's the gospel. The gospel is how a person can know what God's will is for their lives, for the world, for all things. It's knowing the gospel that gives true wisdom and understanding. And in case you miss it, right, verses 13 to 14 tells us what the gospel is. Let me read those verses again, because they're important verses, aren't they? What is the gospel? Verse 13, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So you see Paul's prayer in the second half, the right-hand column, for fruitful Christian living also comes from the gospel. It's as they know the gospel more and more, that His prayer for their fruitfulness will come true, and they will bear every kind of fruit and please God in every way. So, let me summarize. The gospel, this momentous news of God's new King, Jesus, and what He's done for us, is the foundation for everything good in the Christian life. Okay, that's where we're going. Uh, If you are a follower of Jesus, and you want to see your life bear fruit that pleases God, it's going to come out of this message, the gospel, this news. If you have a passion to see God's kingdom grow, spread throughout the world, bear fruit in places like Vietnam, right, where less than half of a percent of people know Jesus, well, it's going to come also from the gospel. And by the way, bearing fruit here and bearing fruit out there is linked, isn't it? It's the same fruit bearing fruit out there is going to begin with lots of fruit in here among us mission and evangelism outside of the church flow from christian lives overflow if you like from christian lives that are full of faith hope and love and are fruitful all of that comes out of the gospel okay that's the first part of what i wanted to say just to show you how important the gospel is and now let's go to point number two On your outlines and let's think about our church's vision for this year 2019 in fact for the next three years so when we got together and talked about our strategic plan vision 2021 we came up with three memorable ways of thinking about it and it's deeper wider further easy to remember so let's go firstly deeper we've seen already colossians 1 tells us everything comes from the gospel because the gospel isn't just nice news it's life-changing news that affects everything, which means that knowing the gospel can't just be something that you learn once, you hear once, and then maybe forget about it. Like even in verse 7, so keep Colossians 1 open, Paul says they had to learn it. You gotta learn something, it means it takes time and effort because the gospel is simple. Jesus is king through his death and resurrection, but it's also deep. And profound, it takes a lifetime to really learn it. But even though we're talking about learning, it's not like the other stuff you learn, it's not just head knowledge like what you learn at school or uni or because verse six tells us it's truly understanding, right? Truly understanding, it's going really grabbing hold of God's grace. In verse 9, it tells us that knowing God's will in the gospel takes God to reveal, it takes spiritual wisdom and understanding, or wisdom and understanding from the Holy Spirit, from God the Holy Spirit. Okay, so our first aim then, our first vision is that as a church, we would go deeper, deeper into knowing the gospel, deeper into understanding the gospel, deeper in letting the gospel affect every single part of everyone here. Or in other words, we want to go deeper as disciples of Jesus or deeper in our maturity. Our church's uh, mission is to make, mature, mobilize, multiply disciples. And we want to go deeper into maturity, the second M, because everything will overflow from that. So we've got to start with that. The Australian Open is on, and tonight is the men's finals. I don't know if any of you watched the women's finals last night. Osaka won. Woo. Anyway, um, the Christian life is a little bit more like tennis and getting better at tennis than it is piano and getting better as a pianist. I'll explain what, uh, what I mean. You know, learning piano, there's always new skills, techniques, and if not that, new songs you have to learn. There's always something new that you can keep leveling up on. But tennis is different. I don't know if some of you, like me, learned tennis as a pretty young kid. Basically, within a short period of time, you learn all the basic strokes. There's only those many, right? Forehand, backhand, volleying, serve, overhead smash, you know, just those. But if you look at the pros, it's not that they've gone beyond those basic strokes. They just do it really, really well. But it's still the forehand, the backhand, the overhead, you know, with some of their own flourishes, like the Nadal forehand is different. to, But it's still a forehand. you see what I mean? The Christian life is more like tennis and less like piano. It's not constantly learning new things. It's actually taking the basics and going deeper. Right? Going deeper and deeper into the gospel that has called you to become a Christian. Because the way you got in is the way you go on in the Christian life and you just keep going to get deeper. Go... Know it really well, letting it affect every part of your life. I'd like to think that that's the only difference between me and Federer, is that he can hit it forehand much better than me. It's probably more than that, but you get my point. And that's what we want every single person as SWEC to experience, from the baby Christian to the elderly Christian, to get deeper into the very thing that has brought you in in the first place, the gospel. So let, let me ask you, how are you going with that? Or have you thought about it? This year, in what areas in your walk with Jesus do you can you go deeper? And it's helpful uh, to think about in terms of not just head, but also January series: head, heart, and hands, because it should impact all of those. Here are some diagnostic questions that hopefully will touch on head, heart, and hands. Um, do you know how the whole Bible fits together? The whole Bible, all sixty-six books. Do you know how it all fits together through the gospel? In other words, do you know that the Old and the New Testament, every part of the Bible unites around one person and points to one person and it's Jesus? Do you know how that works? Everything from Leviticus to Nehemiah to Revelation all points to Jesus. Do you know how that works? How about this one? When you have doubts and questions in your life, do you know how the answers actually come out of the gospel? Right? Not just good advice, life improvement seminars you might watch on YouTube, it comes from the gospel. Do you know how that works? Do you know how the gospel can answer all of your questions in life? Is your worldview shaped by the gospel? In other words, can you answer questions like, who is God? Who is humanity? What is the meaning of life? What happens after we die? What is the basis of right and wrong? These are all worldview type questions. Can you answer that from the basic gospel? Do you know how to fight sin and temptation, not just with better self control, that might be part of it, but ultimately through the gospel? Do you know how that works? How God changes people? Do you know how to endure hardships and suffering and trials also through the same basic gospel? When you talk to God, especially as you grow as a Christian, are your prayers more and more shaped by the gospel? in your marriage, in your parenting, in your singleness, in your retirement, in your work, in your study, is your whole life shaped by the gospel? Or don't you even know how to think about how the gospel might impact all of those ways? Now, this is not a guilt trip diagnostic question. thing. If you can't answer yes to all these questions, please don't worry, because that's the whole point. The point of this first aim in our church's vision is that every member of our church would grow in some area. Yeah, not just in those diagnostic bits, but other areas. That in some way we would all grow deeper and more mature as disciples. And really there's no end point to it. You don't ever reach right, level 20 or whatever it is. You'll always be growing. But it's a little bit like riding a bike, and you knew that this moment was coming. Right, the thing about riding a bike, just keep going. And if you keep pedaling and going forward, even if you're going slowly, because the hill is like 20% gradient, you won't fall over if you just keep going, right? It doesn't really matter how fast you're going, just keep going forward. And that's growing deeper. And we want to help you do that. That's why it's one of our aims. So how can you do that? What, what, what part do you play? Well, it's quite simple. At the beginning of the year, let me just urge you to get involved, right? Simple. Get involved, Because as a church, we have programs to help you grow deeper. As a disciple, deeper in head, heart, and hands. And it's useless if you don't get involved, really. In other words, for for the majority of you here, if you are only a Sunday Christian, it's going to be difficult to grow deeper, honestly. Again, I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm just trying to tell you the reality. There are always going to be exceptions to this. You know there are sometimes health, stage of life, right? Those of you with little ones, I know I've been there. It makes it a lot harder, I know, and that's fine. But you know what? Again, for the majority, you're going to have to go beyond this 11 o'clock service on Sundays to go deeper. Honestly, you're just going to have to. So were you part of youth group last year if you're in high school or part of a community group during the week? If you weren't, then please fill in one of those welcome to church cards or grab one from the back on your way out and say, I'd like to be part of a community group. We'll, we'll, we'll get you into one. If you were part of CG last year, um, don't worry, we'll get in touch with you soon. But did you actually come to CG last year? Right? It really does help. Or do you read the Bible with others? And, then that, and that includes your spouse, your kids, your family. Right, if God has blessed you with um, kids, are you reading the Bible with them? Are you active in serving in some way in one of our ministry teams? Uh, Do you come to prayer meetings this Wednesday night? Right, once a term we have a combined one every month. Outside of that, we have congregational ones. Do you come to those? That'll help you grow deeper. That'll shape your desires. That'll shape your prayers. And even as we talk about Sunday morning, uh, coming to this service, do you prepare your hearts by thinking about what's going to happen, praying that God would help it to be a fruitful time, even praying that God would help you sit next to someone you can encourage, and perhaps even during the sermon, take notes. I know today's hard, you just want a fan, I get it. All right, but this is the new year, so make some personal plans to go deeper, somehow, and that is by getting involved. Get involved. All right. Next one, wider. Now, wider does not mean further. So, further is my third point. Further has to do with mission. Wider, what we mean by wider is wider relationships within the church community of, of Sweck. Now, you'll notice that um, in Colossians 1, part of fruitfulness involves relationships with other believers. Uh, so, if you look at verse 4, Verse 4, it says, the love you have for all God's people. Now, um, the NIV, this translation has over-translated it. Literally, it's love for all the saints. Heard of the word saints? All right? Love for all the saints. That's part of fruitfulness. Now, who are the saints? There's, of course, the classical um, Catholic view. The saints are only special people, especially holy people who have halos above their heads when you see paintings of them. Or the protestant non-catholic view is saints equals everyone every christian is holy to god and therefore a saint now we're not catholic and you probably figured out that the bible doesn't call only very special holy people saints but also the classic protestant view that every christian is a saint that's generally true and a lot of the times that's what the bible means but you know what there is a more specialized way that paul the apostle especially uses the word saints in his letter and let me tell you what that is. And he sometimes means that saints are specifically Jewish Christians, right? you were Jewish, ethnically Jewish, you've become a Christian. They're given the title saints especially. The reason why is because the saints in the Old Testament were the Jews, God's special chosen people. And you see that still carried over in the New Testament, don't turn to it, but in a passage like 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 4, Paul is collecting Famine relief money for the saints. But what he means by the saints from context and from the book of Acts we know is very specifically Christians, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, and he calls them the saints. And so it could very well be, and I think this is the case in Colossians 1, that when he says love for all the saints, and that's why I think the NIV has over-translated, I don't think he just means love for all the, God's people. I think it's particularly the Colossians' love for Jewish Christians, which actually, in light of 2 Corinthians, probably means that they somehow also took part in financially relieving the famine for the Jerusalem Christians. You got that? So, love in Colossians 1 as a sign of fruitfulness is especially about non-Jewish Christians, which the Colossians were, showing love for Jewish Christians in very practical ways. Now, In the ancient world, there was a huge division between Jews and non-Jews, or Gentiles sometimes they're called. But because of Jesus, they're now one, and so it's really beautiful evidence of fruit when Jews and non-Jews can love each other in practical ways. Now, that informs us in this way, in terms of wider. We want to see at our church, at Sweck a church that is wide in its community, wide enough to cross any barrier, wide enough to welcome everyone. If Jews and Gentiles can sit in church together and love the same Lord Jesus and show love in practical ways, how much more so of any of our barriers. So we want to express love across cultural, ethnic, linguistic, age, stage of life, socioeconomic barriers. We want to be that church. Now, I know these are huge aims, but we only need to start, and we can start with baby steps. So, this is what we want you to ask. Right? Every congregation needs to ask themselves, as you look around, of all the people who have come to our congregation, that's 11 o'clock Kingsgrove, or try to come regularly, which would be the groups of people that would find it hardest to fit in? Age groups, cultural groups, stages of life groups, Which will be the ones that find it hardest to connect, build real friendships? You know what? Every congregation is going to answer that differently. Of course, for this congregation, you can take a look around and it's pretty obvious what groups are in the majority, what groups are going to be in the minority. I'm not just talking about skin color. I'm also talking about age and stage of life. We want to be wide enough so that everyone can feel connected. Now, here's another thing that the gospel does. The gospel calls on the strong to sacrifice for the weak. Yeah, you got that? For the majority to especially look out for the minority. Because that's what God does in the gospel, isn't it? He left his throne of power to come and sacrifice himself for the powerless, the stronger for the weak. He, as we saw last week, washed his disciples' feet. And he calls us to do the same. So this means, if you look around and you know that you are part of the majority group in this congregation, probably for us as young adults, yeah? That's not me. For you, it's young adults. Then it's especially your job to walk out of your comfort zone and look out for, befriend, show hospitality to those who are going to be in the minority groups. I was really encouraged, Um, my sister uh, popped into church, she doesn't live in Sydney, and uh, a few weeks ago she was visiting us, and uh, I won't name this person, but one of the young adults um, engaged her in conversation, and you know, she's young and bubbly, and you know, probably asked questions that um, my sister didn't know how to answer, but she really appreciated that someone so young, probably half her age, was really taking an interest in her, My sister, who's actually a little bit older than me. That's great. That's what we want to see, right? So those of you who are not part of the majority, whether it's young adults or uh, part of any particular majority group, ethnically or whatever, I hope that as a result of today's sermon, you get lots of people that you've never met before take the initiative to come and chat to you. So those of you over the age of 50, expect a lot of 18-year-olds to come and engage you in conversation. I think that's what it should be about. The majority take a special initiative with a minority. That's what the gospel calls us to do. And we got to do that across all groups, wider. And that's what we want to see happen. Every church member needs to be a welcomer. Right? Now, let me give you another good reason to come to church camp or weekend away, 29th to 31st of March. We usually put church camp at the end of the year. This year, we wanted to start the year with it. And the reason is because we want this wider Aim to get a kickstart. We don't want to wait till September, October, right? To the end of the year. We want to get it started in March. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, we just had a young adults weekend away, second half of last year. Come along to the March weekend away because this will really help cement relationships wider right from the beginning of the year. Just think, a weekend away with someone would likely. Create relationships that you can continue for the rest of the year in a way that just coming Sunday by Sunday won't. Okay? And especially because a lot of our community groups tend to be bunched around certain age groups. So can I just give you another plug? Now, those of you who have families, young kids, I know it's going to be especially hard for you. It's really difficult to bring families with young kids along to weekend away. Um, We will have a kids' program. Can I encourage you, make the effort. It's going to be expensive for you relative to everyone else. It's going to be hard work. You're going to lose even more sleep, but it's going to be worth it. So let me encourage you to make the effort. All right. Last of all, further. We want to go further. Bearing fruit inside overflows to outside. Because we've got to remember the gospel is not something you can just take or leave. Verses 13 to 14, it's about what? Life and death, isn't it? Light and darkness. Darkness. Or, as we'll look at in the weekend away, it's about heaven or hell. it's about punishment or forgiveness, it's about reconciliation or rebellion. The gospel is this momentous news that God in Jesus has provided a way for anyone who comes to him to be rescued and forgiven and brought back into relationship with him, and if you trust in Jesus who died for your sins and who was raised again, if you follow him as Lord, then it changes everything you get forgiven, you have eternal life, and you become part of God's plan to renew the world. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, a lot of today's sermon probably won't be relevant to you, but um, wake up for this moment, because today, if you put your trust in Jesus and follow Him, you can be sure of being forgiven and have eternal life. Come back in February to find out more, or come and talk to me at the end of the service. But the point is, this is the kind of news that, as I said, can be Good news if you receive it, but also bad news if you reject it. And because it's like that, isn't it true that we ought to urgently, passionately want to see it go as far as possible? Now, this is one point where I don't have to beat very hard on the drum at SWEC, because locally and globally, we do that, right? Um, Every time we have an invitation event, so many people come. When we did Fresh here in Kingsgrove last year, there was like so many friends that you invited, when it comes to global missions, there's so much interest in it that this year, apart from the Vietnam team that we're officially kind of being behind as a church, there's also two unofficial teams going to Japan and Bali on a medical one. Global missions, people are so interested. Lots of you are. And that's fantastic. We need to keep doing that. But, you know, our aim isn't just to attract people and share the news and just leave it at that. Remember, our church is about making and maturing and mobilizing, and then multiplying followers of Jesus, disciples. Which means, as, as good as it is that we get lots of people coming along to an event, if you think of it like a funnel, then we've got to make sure the funnel doesn't leak. That people don't just hear the gospel and then go away and then that's it, but they actually become Christians. They don't just become Christians, but they're actually followed up on. They're not just followed up on, but matured and integrated. You see what I mean? The funnel does have leaks That's where. And even those of you interested in global missions, well, you'll need support. You'll need advice, and you'll need financial support. And if all of you want to go on mission in the next 10 years, we don't have enough money to support you all, but we want to. See, if you're a church partner, and if you're not, one great way of getting involved this year is become a church partner. The reason why we are biting the bullet now, especially financially, is to lay foundations for further gospel growth in the future. We're looking at not just the next 10 year, uh, three years, but the next ten years. Because you might look around and you think, why do we have so many full-time paid pastors? So much so that our budget is actually in deficit this year and is likely to be for the next three years. And the reason is because we want to invest in all those links in the chain, not just making, but also maturing, not just maturing, but also mobilizing, not just mobilizing, but also multiplying. Disciples of Jesus, without enough... Pastors helping to make that happen. I'll just give you an example. If I don't have both Dom and Marshall working full time with the two English congregations, and I don't get freed up as the lead pastor to do this kind of thing, drive the whole church, lead the elders to think about the next three to ten years. If all I do is looking after one congregation, do you see what I mean? And that's what I was doing for the last few years. I haven't been able to set my mind to drive this kind of thing. And so it means that we've needed more pastors and God has provided and we love that. But it does mean we're in deficit for 2019 and probably for the next three years. But we are investing in the next 10. But it doesn't have to be in deficit or not for as long as three years as we project. And it's up to all of us, isn't it? I mean, if God grows us numerically then our finances should increase. But you might also want to think about as a regular, if you're a follower of Jesus, and this is only to those who are followers of Jesus and you call SWEC your church, have a think about how how God has blessed you and whether it is that you can give more and invest more for the growth of the gospel through SWEC for the next three years and beyond. Okay, I don't want to end with talking about money because money is not the most important thing. The most important thing in terms of further is investing in other ways. Money is easy. God is very rich. But here are three things that are harder. Number one, praying. Praying is one of the most important investments that all of us need to make and make regularly and boldly. I love the fact that we've had 21 days of prayer. Have you taken part in that? Because it's been fantastic, hasn't it? But that's just a great start. Let's let it continue. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying every single day for the people around you who don't yet know Jesus. Pray every day for an opportunity to build a bridge to someone who needs Jesus. And of course, pray for our church's vision. This is all words without God. So come along Wednesday night. Pray for the vision that I've set out today, that we've set out today. So number one, pray. Number two, witness. Do you know that you may be the only living, breathing Christian someone in your life is close to? Some of you are very aware of that. Some of you may need to be aware of that for the first time. And so the question is, are they attracted to Jesus through looking at you? Has the gospel gone so deep in you that it does naturally overflow? Because if our lives Are attractively Jesus centered, then others can't help but want to know about him. And when you invite them to church, they're more likely to come. So think about your witness. Think about how you're promoting Jesus just through your life and your words and your everyday. Pray, witness, and last of all, of course, invite. I don't have to drum more about, uh, drum on more about um, February month. Questions for God, obviously great. Straight after that is fresh. Right? Great to invite friends. But there's another thing we're doing this year, and that's going to take a lot more of your initiatives. And that is, we have this campaign called We Want Your Friends to Be Our Friends. Nice one, isn't it? We want your friends to be our friends. And that's going to be a lot more your initiative. The idea behind that is, we want to take your friends who are in your life, who don't yet know Jesus, and we want to build bridges to your friends here among us who are followers of Jesus because we believe that this makes witnessing, my second point, possible. And the more bridges are built in friendships between people who don't yet know Jesus and people who do, yet know, who do already know Jesus, apart from just you, the more likely it is that they won't think it's weird when you say, hey, come and meet my church. Right? We want your friends to be our friends. So think about how you can use those initiatives. All right, enough from me. All right, but the three aims are deeper, wider, further. I'll get the band up. We'll get ready to sing. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would bless our vision. Oh, Lord of our hearts, that it would ultimately not be a church's vision, but our deep desire that flows out of this great momentous news of the gospel so that Jesus might be glorified, that we might go deeper, grow wider as a community, and that this great news might go further. Amen. Uh, we're now going to respond to what we've heard and been challenged by this morning uh, from Pete about our vision and, or the church's vision, and also how we respond to the gospel. Um, for our regulars, we're going to collect the offering tree uh, for those of you who choose to give by cash during the second um, song. Uh, for newcomers, again, just Welcome to our church card. If you wouldn't mind filling out your contact details. But to um, follow on from Pete's point, for our regulars, if you'd like to get involved in joining a community group, please grab one of these on the way out and fill it in and, um, and give it to someone so that we can um, start getting more involved. Um, please stand. We're going to sing. <laughs>